If you're lucky enough to be born in Scotland, then pay your tax here. We are now chatting at the bit to unleash this huge retail boom that's coming. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Good morning and a welcome to an extra special Easter Sunday business show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss retail with Stuart Patrick, the Chief Executive of Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, and top tea cakes and trade with business icon Sir Boyd Tunnock. And in the boardroom, Tom and Willie answer your calls and provide insight and inspiration. You can get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Gentlemen, Spain could become one of the first countries to trial a four-day week with her government agreeing to launch a pilot project. And the chief exec of the Chartered Institute of Personal Development Scotland says the pandemic is a chance to fundamentally change working patterns. So from a business perspective, would staff be more productive, working fewer days, or is this a recipe for disaster? Willie? 100% 100% a great idea. I've been talking about it for 20 years. I think if we can help get the the work rest balanced right, I think if, if we had the staff working for four days a week and we elongated the weekend to a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think it'd be great for the economy. I think it'd be great for the well-being of the staff. I also think that during lockdown, it's demonstrated that people working from home you know, that our, our productivity actually is up. So, you know, we don't have any Monday morning clubbers. Our sickness rates have been much, much better. Our clients think that our service is better. So, obviously, our engineers and our guys in the street, emergency guys, will not be able to, to work four days a week. But certainly for the back office staff and anyone else who is not an emergency call, I certainly think that a four-day week is a great idea. Would it not be a bit unfair for those staff that can't work a four-day week? You can always retrain if you like. You know, if you don't want to be a refrigeration engineer and you want to work in the back office, you know, you can always look at that. But I think the people who could work for four days a week, it's like the usual. People used to have to work night shifts. And people would say, oh, you know, um, he's off during the day. Well, you can do if you like. If you want to give up your your night time to do that. So I think people have got choices. But I think um, overall that a four-day working week for the people who can do it, I think it's a great idea. Tom, do you agree? Yeah, but I think it's challenging for an employer. Um, I think it depends on the sector. It's not going to be a Monday to Friday in the office, that's for sure. But could it go to a four-day week? That's a bit more challenging for me. Um, I'm all for the, the staff now choosing between office. There needs to be, you know, one day, maybe two days where the human interaction happens. But we're a kind of... We're not typical, and um, I know like my daughter's just got a new job and she's going back to London now, and she can't wait to get back in the office because she's young and, and she needs to interact with people. As old fogies, we're quite happy sitting at home getting our cups of tea. And upset John Maguire again, just think again of <laughs> all the emissions that we could save by not having to go that extra day to work in our cars. Sorry, John. <laughs> Is it not more likely that the public sector staff could go to a four-day week than private sector? And will that further create a divide because there's obviously a feeling that there's fewer redundancies in the public sector, they're on final salary pensions, and suddenly if they're on a four-day week, that an issue? 
will he? I don't think that will happen. It has to be available for everyone, both the private sector and the public sector. You know, I, I think you try to be controversial there, Donald. Um, I, don't think, out, I don't think definitely they're going to bring out one rule for one and not for the other. So um, I, I certainly don't see that happening. I don't think we're going to see it at the Herald with the journalists anytime soon, Willie. I get that feeling. Just, 100%. Just, just look at Donald's face there. Yes, yes. He's already <laughs> picked the day that he wants off. <laughs> I'd like just one day off. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much. Graham, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> if I move on to airlines and airports, they've obviously been badly hit by the pandemic. Uh, and Logan Air flagged a material uncertainty over their ability to continue as a going concern, as we reported in the Herald. How vital are our Scottish airlinks and what should we be doing to get flying again, Tom? So, first of all, there are some air routes which are absolutely essential. Um, establishing the link between the Isles and the mainland, etc. Um, I mean, that is that is a vital route and um, we need to ensure that that continues. You then get to the um, people flying for business. My own personal view in that is I think it'll take a long time to get back to where it was. People going to conferences, going to see customers in far-flung places. I mean, Willie does it more than me, but I think it will take some time. And if we ever get back to the levels pre-pandemic, but then there's the leisure travel. We're in a bit of flux just now. I think um, Boris is going to tell us tomorrow, actually, about what's going to happen about international leisure travel. So is it essential? It's essential for some people, absolutely. Is it going to get back to the pre-COVID levels? going to be a long time, Donald. It's obviously a vital link to the islands. Should we be concerned with Logan Air? Absolutely. I read the article and, and I think that uh, the government have to step in. When it's a vital like a link. It's not. This is not holidays. And this is not for tourism. This is for people to live their, their life daily. And I think really the links to the islands is very, very important. And I've seen as well. It's a shame I've seen that that Logan have actually upgraded. They've bought. You know, I see they've got jets now rather than the propeller planes. So they've tried to come into the modern era. I, I think that that especially Logan Air, who are probably the, the prominent supplier of services to the islands, I think that really that there's no way that we can let them you know, go down. So I, I think that the government have to look at that. But I think all airports, it's vital, it's absolutely vital that you know we get them all up and running. Um, I last week had to, for the first time, fly for, I think, nine months. I had to fly down to London. And it was eerie being in Glasgow Airport and I was meaning the guy I was flying with were the only people there. It was it was scary. Yep. We're now joined by Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of the Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, for a roundup of what's making the news in the Chamber this month. Welcome back, Stuart. Thanks very much. I'm just going to give you the usual, the good, the bad and the, the mixed. Um, it's all based on the issues that the Chamber's members have been raising with us, as you say, over the past month. 
I suppose on the good front, we do have a partial roadmap to economic release and recovery, and it's great that we have reopening phases happening on Monday, on the 26th of April, on the 17th of May, and we could have a wee quibble about the pace, whether it's right as far as how quickly we're opening up or whether there's some unhelpful complications. Do we really need a two-hour limited time slot for indoor hospitality, for example? But at least there is something relatively concrete to plan with, so Good news for retail, hospitality, hairdressing, garden centres and so on as we know. But we got a pretty vague statement of a phased return of some office staff from the end of June. And that's not really enough for the big employers in the city centre to start planning to reopen their offices. And so city centre shops and the restaurants and the bars and the coffee shops are going to struggle to make the sums add up. Uh, They're going to need support beyond the final payments that the Scottish Government has promised for April if they don't come out with more uh, concrete plans. One piece of good news was that the City Council decided to focus its discretionary business grants mostly on those city centre businesses. So there's an extra £8 million being allocated uh, to help businesses uh, survive. But it's still unlikely to be enough to keep them all going if we don't have greater clarity on the return to the office soon. Delighted, though, that the City Council and especially Council Leader Susan Aitken has put their weight behind uh, a city centre task force to do two things. Plan the short-term reopening. That's the clean-up, the using open space, working out how travel would work, get the message out how the city centre is maintaining safety. Also, uh, think through what's needed to reshape the city centre in the longer term. What do we do with empty retail units? How do we get more houses developed? Work out implications of home working and make sure that the centre is full of attractions to get uh, get footfall going. Um, Helpful news, though, that the Cabinet Office is to put 500 jobs into Glasgow as part of its relocation of senior civil servants out of London. Um, And the Foreign Office is also putting another 500 into East Kilbride. That was welcome. Um, We're also keen to applaud our bus companies, uh, including First and Stagecoach, that have been announcing their investments in electric buses. First investing uh, over £50 in another 126 electric buses by early 2023 to add to the 22 buses that they've already confirmed for Glasgow streets this year and Stagecoach announcing 46 for routes across Scotland. Obviously, that's good news for Alexander Dennis and is helped by uh, Scottish Government's funding schemes for low-emission buses. But our airport team, as you were discussing, are not so happy. They are left with no clarity at all on the prospects for the restart of international travel. And I'm aware that the relationships between the aviation industry and the Scottish Government are far from warm. Uh, The government's pretty much a brick wall on international travel and beyond airports rates relief which is welcomed they appear to have no further plan for helping the aviation industry to recover um, for sure we, we're, we have all the worries of a third wave uh, across Europe but there isn't much forward thinking going on to work out how we will attract uh, airlines back into our airports especially if England does allow travel earlier than Scotland so that is obviously a worry for tourism for exports uh, and for inward investment in the longer term. And finally, good news for exports from the whisky industry. 
Um, we have lots of whisky members in the chamber like Edrington and Grants and Diageo. So the temporary suspension of the US tariffs on single malt whiskies is a boost. Uh, the industry lost over a billion pounds in exports last year with about 300 million due to the US tariffs. Um, the US is the biggest market, so we sank a couple of drams to toast uh, the development uh, of the suspension of those tariffs. Um, and in the meantime, we look forward to seeing how the US and UK negotiate to find a permanent solution. And that's good work by the Scotch Whiskey Association, I have to say, who put up uh, a great fight to, to help get those tariffs removed. So talking of positivity then, with the Scottish elections just weeks away, imagine you've had all the political parties promising to deliver a wonderful future for business. Um... Say your same shirt. I think, let's just say, we've had to knock on their doors to ask for some conversations around what might have gone into their manifestos. And I, they're not brimming with ideas, I have to say, uh, on what to do to help build the economy in the in the country. Stuart, can I just ask you, um, we bit worrying on Thursday of this week, it was hinted that maybe COP26 may be cancelled again. Are you hearing anything at the Chamber? We have discussed this with uh, colleagues in the Council. We know that there's debate going on about what the implications are for COP about um, vaccination programmes rolling out around the rest of the world and how therefore how easy is it for folks to come to us. We may be fine in November, but the challenge will be around the rest of the world. Um, we understand that the, the discussions at Cabinet level are underway, but they haven't come to a conclusion yet. So I know they're going through what might the model of COP yeah. look like, but we have haven't got any final decisions, so I think that report yeah. might have been premature. I, I think the problem that we have in Glasgow and in Scotland is that it's, it's all been led by, by the UK government. So really, we, we're probably going to be the last to hear. Um, well, I certainly feel that the host city has got a pretty good, uh, I, you know, the host city team and uh, the the council have a reasonably good uh, liaison with the um, cabinet office and with the wider uh, UK government. So I'm, I'm expecting that they'll they will learn fairly uh, quickly, yeah. but we are not. We were told that this would get finally decided somewhere around mid-April. So it's serious discussion, not yet settled. Here's hoping. Well, they'll need to step up. Thank you, Stuart. A really good roundup of what's been happening. And now, in the second of our new feature on Great Scots, we tell the story of Sir Boyd Tunnock. Tunnocks, a family-owned confectionery business and a long-time pillar of Scottish enterprise. Founded in Uddingston in 1890 by the late Thomas Tunnock, in 2013 the bakery was named the 20th oldest family business in Scotland, still in operation, and today Tunnock's continues to operate successfully with Thomas's grandson at the helm, Sir Boyd Tunnock. 1952 heralded the arrival of the Caramel Wafer, followed by the Snowball in 1954 and the Caramel Log the following year. Then, in 1956, a 23-year-old Boyd was given the task of developing a new product of his own. After much research, Boyd began experimenting with the idea of using Italian meringue within his creation. He made a biscuit base, hand-piped the mallow onto the base, then covered it in milk chocolate. This was the moment that Tunnock's tea cake was born. The following years would see major expansion for the Tunnock's brand, a result of exceedingly high demand for their new products. 
1981, Boyd's father Archie passed away at the age of 86, leaving Boyd to take the reins. Proving his endless commitment to the family business, Archie had continued working tirelessly right into his final days, but safe in the knowledge that Tunnix was being left in capable hands. Success for the business continued, and six years later, Boyd was awarded an MBE in recognition of the company's increased sales to foreign countries. The Tunnix brand stretched as far afield as Japan and later Kenya and Singapore, amongst others. Boyd would also go on to receive a CBE, and then in 2019, it was a case of Arise Sir Boyd, knighted for his services to business and charity. Sir Boyd even discovered the Queen herself is a fan of his very own creation. Today, the Tunnix brand continues to prosper, and Boyd's Tunnix tea cake remains a family favourite across the globe. Great Scots on the Go Radio Business Show. I'm delighted to say that coming up after the break, we will be talking to the great Scott himself, Sir Boyd Tunnock, chairman of Tunnock's Biscuits. Don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey, supporting the lifeblood of the Scottish economy. Welcome back as we talk to Sir Boyd Tunnock, CBE, Chairman of Tunnock's, the makers of the famous tea cakes and caramel wafers. Don't forget, if you want some brilliant business insight or have a general business query for Tom and Willie, you can email your question to gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Sir Boyd, welcome to the show and... I believe you got a police escort here. Yes, well, I suppose uh, I stopped rallying in 1962. I'm not very good at reading maps. And <laughs> I turned left under a bridge quite near here. And I pulled into the side of the road to see where I was. And there were cars coming the other way, flashing their lights. <laughs> and the next thing I heard is, Neo, Neo, and there a police car alongside. Oh, dear. Who said to me, eh, you're going the wrong way. I said, I know. I said, I'm lost. Were you in the Rolls Royce, boy? No, I was in the smart car. Oh, I my goodness. Smart <laughs> car? Well, in fact, I suppose I'm a smart guy. She's really drive a smart car. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, the police were very helpful and uh, I gave them a packet of car waivers and that helped them on their way. And they said, if you just watch us and turn the car and follow us, we'll give you it. So... Oh, it's a, it's a real way snake to get to this place, but it's wonderful once you get here. <laughs> well, we're delighted that you're here. We heard a wee clip about Tunnock's um, earlier, just before the break. But if I can take you back to when you joined the family business, and it was in 1949, you were just 16 years old, working for your father, Archie, and with your brother, Tom, at the time. Tell us about those early years in the business. Well, I go into the bakery and I've got the big heavy boots on, the white apron, and the foreman's a wee chap, Joke Bockup, he was like Lobby Dozer, as you all know, Lobby yeah, Dozer, yeah. local <laughs> man, you know. And uh, I was standing at one side of the table, he was standing at the other side of the table, and I said, Mr. Bockup, could you pass me over the brush, please? He says, boy, if you can learn to be a baker, you're going to have to learn to talk like a baker. I said, how's that, Mr. Bockup? He says, well, what you say is, pass over the effing brush. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to say that to him. And (laughs) there was another baker that father had taken on, and he had his whites and looked apart, and the foreman didn't like him. 
But he used to slip me recipes. And the first one he did was a date and walnut cake, which he slipped and he said, now, say that your father gave you that recipe and you, you had to make it. And I tried it, and it was a great success over many years, dating walnut cake, you know. And I don't think we currently actually make it at the moment. The moment, things we're making quite a lot of at the moment are banana cakes. The local fruiter gives me all these, well, rotten bananas, one of them black. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the best for banana cakes because when I was off during the time of the lockdown, I uh, was baking every day for 18 weeks and passed. There's four or five families in the avenue just handing them out, sausages, rolls and empire biscuits. And then I wrote the wee diary of how to do it. I'd never made banana cakes before, but anyway, I managed to get a recipe from somewhere else and they used this and it worked out very well and they all loved it. So I put this in my book and uh, you know, I think there's about 18 recipes in the book and it was actually, I put it into a wee book which was dedicated to St. Ab's Lifeboat where we happened to give them a small lifeboat but a few years ago and uh, to create funds. And uh, there's no charge for it, but you give a donation. And uh, it's amazing. We, we printed a 1,000 initially, uh, and then it was in... Sunday Post had an article about it six weeks ago, and it w- after that we'd print another 1,200, I think it was. And uh, we sent another 1,000 down to St. Abbs because they're selling so well down there because it's a, it's a, I don't know if you know St. Abbs, but it's a, yep. it's, St. Abbs is very, very rocky. And uh, anyway, I go down there back every two or three months and hand out a few biscuits to them, you know, and uh, I've had great fun and pleasure uh, with the crew and what have you, you know, and then at the launch of the lifeboat, it was super. Of course, you were the inspiration, as we heard, behind the tea cake. And then in the 1950s, that's when the caramel wafers, caramel logs and snowballs came along. What made them so successful? Well, I think it's like anything, you know, uh, you see, uh, you can't you can't tell it's not butter, you know, like margarine. But there's nothing like real butter. You know, you taste butter, okay, and you, most people put it in the fridge. But how you really treat butter is, you take it and you put a piece in a piece of, in a wee plate, a wee butter plate, and you put it in the cupboard. And you take it out of the cupboard, it's nice and soft to spread. But if you get it out of the fridge, it's hard. Margarine will spread out of the fridge. And, you know, there's too much thought about the fridge. I mean, I was in the army, and, and it was cool for 600. And we didn't have a fridge. It was an out, outside store. That was 1954-56. And, you know, things haven't changed. <laughs> well, I've got to say to you, so, Boyd, as someone who sells fridges, I'm certainly glad that things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> we moved off for the old larders. Can I ask you a question? And I've been thinking about this, you know, all week before you come on. The thing that used to amaze me when you had the, the square vans that used to deliver and you had written on the back 640 vans and the bell line through that, that then right. it would say 700. That's I it. always... I mean, did you really have that many vans? Well, that's right. It was quite, quite, it was quite a good idea because up in the top, that above that writing, above the door, you would have van number uh, thirty-five or yes. forty or something, and then the vanman's name. Yeah. And these ones at the back, that was the staff number of staff. Right. You know, and people, most folks thought like yourself, it was vans. Yeah. And I remember my father always saying, "You've got to talk big." You know, just yeah. make it bigger than it is. <laughs> now, uh, you have got that, you've got to 
you having a, a big business. You've got, well, you've got a huge business. And I, I, I think it's wonderful. The same as Tom and his business. And Tom's retired and does nothing. <laughs> the only thing he does is give money away. You know, and the... Thanks know, for the, that. The, the great Andrew Carnegie. The great Andrew Carnegie. From 1904 and retired, was the richest man in the world. And he actually was last 19 years after he retired was giving his money away and there's still a, a Carnegie Foundation to this day giving money away yeah that's point eh? but, yeah. but every in every library he gave libraries to the councils all over the place Carnegie libraries yes and the trick was that he didn't give the books as he said if you gave the building they would look after the building, but they wouldn't look after the books. Yeah. If the council gave the books, they would look after the books. And now there's uh, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, you know, you can, if you're reading history and look back, yeah. and I'm not a great reader, the last one I read was, read was about Aston Martin. Yeah, and right. it was quite amazing how they, they started off with a racing car outfit, and then they made cars, and now they're back to racing, they're buying Formula One, yeah. Aston Martin. It's a Canadian that owns it now. Yeah, he's, but he's, yeah. he's even got more money than... I think a few of the guys hey, Tom. here. <laughs> <laughs> I've given away all my money, Boyd, as you I know. know. So. It's great, great of you, Tom. I admire. And, and no, Boyd, did you know that above every Carnegie Library was inscribed, let there be light? Is that yeah. right? That's yeah. what Andrew thought. Well That's done. the way yeah. to end yeah, it. You've read his yeah. book. Oh, yeah, I, no, I, I, Andrew Carnegie's a huge impact, which we'll, which we'll talk about on yes, future yes. shows, yeah. uh -huh. but I'm really glad you, you brought up Andrew Carnegie. But it was actually more canny than that, and Tom will not admit it. He didn't give anybody any libraries, right? He rented them to them. <laughs> <laughs> he owns everyone in his day just about. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he did what Glasgow City did, a sale and lease back. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, the thing is, he also gave organs to churches. Yes, you yeah. know, yes. And they're great number of churches with uh, Carnegie organs and there's a Carnegie Hall in New York yeah, you know people will think and of course you, you forget local here you have the Usher Hall in Edinburgh yeah. and that was the Usher's beer yeah. that built that Correct. you know and, and here we are three of us here yeah. Who I'm the least generous among the three. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a boy compared to these. You know, got a few more miles on the clock. So, so Boyd, can I ask you? We've been speaking today in the show. There's this movement for people to move to a four-day week. Can I ask you what time you started this morning, and how many days a week you work? It's generally before six o'clock. You know, I've seen me occasionally. Then at half past four, but that that's, <laughs> uh, can it means that yeah, you've got to go home and get an hour in the chair, sit in front of the fire. <laughs> but this morning, boys, I was in at quarter to six, and wow. then you get your white coat and your mask on, and nobody knows who you are, and go out there. <laughs> then I got on my wee bike because my legs are now about eighty-eight years old. I'm not very good at walking about, riding about the place. And my, my, the, a great saying I've had this last two or three days: I've, if you look in the mirror and you smile, at least you know you're making somebody happy. <laughs> 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 you know? well, I love no, that. it's great. Oh, but no, and the thing is, no, I'm only working seven days a week now. All right, oh, I've cut back. But, <laughs> cut back. <laughs> You're now in all the large UK supermarkets, virtually every single cafe or corner shop. You also export to over 30 countries. What was the key turning point that brought about that success? And how has your business coped operating on such a scale? Well, Fortunately, I never, ever knew my father ever borrowing money. 
He works on his own means. And our factory, we're working 24 hours a day for about four days a week, you know, what have you. And it's 350 steps from my house. I'm now <laughs> lived in the third house in the avenue. I started off, a, I was born in the second house and I left, and that house was left to my aunt, my father's sister, whom my mother didn't get on with. Yeah. We moved there in 51, and it was all done up, and it was super. And then in 1957, I had the pleasure of marrying a girl from Kirkintilloch, eh, Anne McClay, and I changed her name. Didn't they change her name, Anne, but... <laughs> 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 left that there. But, uh, you know, we had a great success and three daughters later and the, all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's super. And it, it, it's a pleasure when you're doing something. And the biggest pleasure I get is giving, as Willie and Tom or no, is giving somebody a job. Yeah. You know. So important. You know, I, I, I like to say to somebody, where did you work before? Oh, I was a coach driver. I worked for so... I've, I've got two now, one the night, one the day shift. And... Uh, Oh, but natural fact, we're getting better paid here. I said, a coach driver, a huge responsibility, yep. you know, for 50 people. And these Highland roads, you know, and... Uh, but the thing is, with anything, you've got to get keep the quality up. And if things get tight, you've got to say, right, how can we be more efficient? And it's only efficiency. I mean, all the time... I mean, I look over at Willie here and, you know... We haven't really had a discussion. We've talked in the past generally, but we haven't, you know, like the three getting three together like this, the information you get from each other as to, you know, how you and, and your wife generated the thing and exploded it into the world, you know. And I know you say you need a refrigerator to keep things fresh. I think you're right, right enough, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> Boyd, you mentioned there um, everybody sees uh, Tarnox as a fantastic success story. Has has there been a tough time? Well, yes, yes. Well, there, there, are, there are about a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, things weren't, you know, we've been making money and we've always managed to make money, but it was a bit tighter. I touched wood, let's say, my long sticks wood as well. <laughs> so, so far, we've managed to weather the storm. This year, right enough, eh, because we were closed for four and a half weeks, completely stopped. And then the time you start up again and people are off, but the government have done a great job by given this full of money. Yes. It's kept many afloat, you know, but really, uh, and you make your own luck. You know, I remember an American telling me uh, that business was uh, 95% hard work and 5% luck, but you needed the 5% luck. <laughs> More than anything. <laughs> and boy, can I just ask, that what Willie and I are passionate about is folk in Scotland growing their business, starting their business, employing folk. Would there be any piece of advice you would give to the listeners this morning from your vast experience that you maybe think somebody maybe gave you a wee bit of wisdom along the way? But if you've got a good idea, you know, uh, work it out yourself. You've got to have a good idea. And then I've had people come to me and you have many, many people come to you and kind of 10 minutes with you just to, I've got an idea and you say, well... In my view, I think that's the wrong idea. You know, nine times out of ten, but when you say, well, that's super, carry on. It's like, it's like the hurdle 
newspaper. I've started reading the, the letters to the editor. That's where you get the feedback from the general public. You know, that's yesterday. You know, tell them somebody about so-and-so or something, you know, and about all the things that are happening. And and, and the thing is, do is you you, uh, you never discuss politics with anybody, you know. Over the years, I've got to know you a wee bit, and I know you're a really proud man. You're, you're proud of the business and, and, and the legacy. Talk us through how proud you were when you when you got the letter through to say that you were going to receive a knighthood. Well, wonderful! It was it was real. My natural fact, I was always I was always sorry eh, that my father never got an honour, and he did so much. He actually be, he served his time as a baker. Went to Hamilton Night School, and I actually went to Hamilton Night up at the academy. I went there initially as well when I was learning to be a baker. Father actually, eh, before the First World War, he had a Model T Ford, and he was doing taxi hiring at night, <laughs> you know. And he went to the night school in Hamilton, and I remember him telling me that his father said to him, remember, Archie, if there was any spare ice and bring it back, and that'll do for the Empire Bridges tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> But you know it's 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 simple if you take it easy. Yeah. But you've got to have fun along the way, and you need good friends. You know, I say I I do a bit of sailing. I've got a boat. I had it twenty four years, and I'm the skipper. And up until ten years ago, I had this parliament is a great cook. It was a twisted wee monkey, but it was a great. <laughs> He was a great cook. If any family was listening, but anyway, he, he gave it up, and I'm now the I'm now the skipper and the cook. Wow! But a piece of roast beef in the oven, two hours, roast potatoes, you know, cauliflower and white sauce, <laughs> and I can cook up for up to twelve or thirteen. Brilliant! But it's super. Brilliant. We're certainly getting some recipes wow. for successes uh, Easter Sunday. Can I ask you, because you're, you're very popular with your staff and the community out in Uddingston, is it true you've had a few bids to buy your business, but each time refused to sell because you're a wee bit worried for the future of your staff and of different employers? Well, right enough, if I don't get two or three bids a year, I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but what I actually happens if I get a bid, eh, I just put on an NIMT, and I sent it through to my secretary, and she typed a letter, no interest meantime. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, you know, and that, that's the thing, you daren't actually go and, and enter negotiations. And my view, if you go into uh, negotiations like that, you, they maybe put a lot of pound notes in front of you, and you've had a bad week. Things have, you know, say, why am I working here when I can have all this money in the bank. But money in the bank doesn't make happiness. Happiness is being respected by your staff, as Willie is and Tom, you know, and it's all. Well, it's, it's, it's Easter Sunday, and I know religion has been a big part of your life, having been a church elder for more than 50 years. Yes. How have those Christian values shaped the way you run the business, look after your staff and the wider community? Well, that's right. You've got to treat people as you would like to be treated. And, you know, because you've got to remember eh, the people who helped you in the way up because maybe in the way down it may be more difficult. You know, and we all know that circumstances change. Eh, and, you know, fortunately, I'm getting near the end of the line, eh, but you never think that way. You know, you always think there's 
years ahead. You're very much a family man and you're blessed with three daughters and six grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. So the Tunnock dynasty will be around for a long time. What advice would you give anyone in the family wanting to follow in your footsteps? Well, I would hope they would work uh, <coughs> to the same standards I work. My daughter, Karen, who's my... She's my right-hand man, and uh, she's in the office I had, and I'm in my father's office. You hope that they'd... And they're, they're doing things, but before they do anything radical, they'll always run it in front of me just to see what I think. Well, 99 out of 100, they're right. What do you consider your biggest achievement and what key characteristics or traits have made you personally so successful? I, I think being nice to people, you know. Brilliant. and uh, But sometimes uh, the family, I'm saying, I'm too nice to people, you know. But you've got a driver, you go up and say, how are you getting on today? And, oh, you're driving maybe sugar or something. And you go into your hip pocket and you'll take out a wee note and you'll hand it to him. Oh, no, I can't take it, right? You know, and there was one chap recently who wouldn't take it. I said, but, you know, give it to charity. Well, that's okay, I'll give it to charity, but I don't, I'm, I feel I'm getting paid for what I'm doing. I said, fair enough, but I think, you know, it, you've got to radiate happiness, and the thing is, I like wee stories, you know, the old story about how do you find a girl out? You go to her house when she's no in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and silly Brilliant. stories, you know, and, and you must keep them clean. You keep them clean. That's the whole thing about it. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. You just keep it clean and Brilliant. simple. You know, Brilliant. sounds simple. But did you ever imagine when you were a youth, when you had a less than successful stint at the commercial college, I believe, that you would end up <laughs> as a successful MD and chairman of the business? Well, I mean, I, I did get a certificate for typing eight words a minute. <laughs> I thought that was quite good. <laughs> Got a job at the Herald for that. <laughs> but did you see when you first went into the business, could you imagine yourself as leading this iconic brand? You don't think of that. You never think it's good. Other people tell you it's good, and that's great. And you don't tell people you're clever. You know, as, as I say to my wife, if I don't tell folk I'm clever, they'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, if I can ask you, what's been the best advice and support you've been given throughout your career? Well, to marry my wife, undoubtedly. Brilliant. Married well my done. wife. Well done. There's a common theme here, as I've said. Yes. Thank you, Sir Boyd. It's been absolutely wonderful to have you in the studio. Coming up next, it's the board you can't afford with Hunter and Hockey. If you're looking for some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterInHockey. The board you couldn't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice, insight and inspiration. It's the board you can't afford. If you have any questions you want read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. We're going to our phone lines now. And first up is John Johnson from BD Print. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Willie. Hi, Tom. Thanks for uh, allowing me on to 
got my question to you both. Hi, John. Morning, John. My question is, I uh, I run a small manufacturing business uh, based around the traditional uh, business-to-business model of customers coming to us. Uh, over the, the last year, uh, much of our customer base has remained closed through the pandemic, with the result being a very obvious downturn in business for us. Uh, we did manage to diversify uh, after the first sort of two or three months and we're lucky enough to pick up some COVID-related work which plugged some of those gaps. But going forward, we'd like to device, diversify further and move more towards a business-to-consumer B2C model by developing and releasing products that we currently have in the pipeline. What advice could you offer with regards to retargeting our marketing from B2B to B2C and what we have found has become a very online-centric marketplace, a space that we traditionally don't have very uh, have very little experience of operating in and seems to be awash with scores of experts of all shapes and sizes, but no sort of clear um, path for us to, to look for advice. Good question, Willie. John, good question. Um, I'd have to say to you that I've been very, very fortunate in all the years I've been in business that... Um, it's, it's been a lot of you know building up personal relationships and, and obviously mm-hmm. landing big contracts. So I don't have hundreds of customers, mm-hmm. but 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 the only experience I've had in the last few years that kind of relates to what you're talking about is, is that I did decide a few years ago that I would actually set up business development teams. Right. And I realised that I had to look at how I'd been selling for thirty years and realised that that was not the way to do it going forward. So I would say that what you'd have to do is is that. If you looked at another company where you thought you wanted to be more like them, mm-hmm. it's try and find out what type of structure that they have and how do they market their products and how do they get sales. And I would kind of take that as a template about you know how to try and copy. But um, I had this situation a few years ago where I had to have a change of direction about how I sold and in what market I wanted to sell to. So I think that's probably the best bit of advice I can give you. Okay. Yep. Um, okay. John, what's what's the name of your firm? Give it give it a wee plug. Uh, it's BD Print. So we're a we're a manufacturing company. We take a lot of printed products and turn it into all sorts of things. So uh, it's it's why we've looked at other products where you take something like a a normal sheet of plywood and, and print something on it and turn it into a product that someone might not have thought about before or it's just to add a wee bit more value. And, you know, we've looked at products that the consumer would buy and the consumer is buying. You know, we, we traditionally deal with pubs and clubs and restaurants and cafes. I'm with and, you. Know, yep. And that, that sector's been decimated, so it's, I mean, been, it's been difficult. The only thing I, I could say to you, John, not understanding your business, but the great thing I was taught was learn by doing. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody's on their computer and doing spreadsheets. I, I just think, speak to the customers, listen, understand what they want and try it. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, you've learned something, mm-hmm. but then try something else and just give it a go. What have you got to lose? It sounds to me as if you've got a good product, but you're having to find new markets. So just learn by doing. And listen, good luck. Let us know how you're getting on. Okay. And um, it's not easy right now, so stick in there. Okay, thanks very much. Good luck, good luck, John. And if you can keep in touch and let us know how you got on, if you find you've found a wee nugget and it's worked for you, come on and tell us about it. I will indeed. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Best of luck, John. Our next caller is Ruth Allen, who's the founder of Speak Out With Confidence. Welcome to the show, Ruth. Bonjour, nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you on board, although I didn't understand half of that. (laughs) 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 I did bonjour. (laughs) 
Uh, well, I struggled with languages at school, except for Latin, but there, that's for another time. Oh, brilliant. Oh, good. So, uh, you've got a question for Tom and Willie. Yes, I have. Yes. Hi, guys. I just Hi, wanted to... We've, I've got a bit of a, a bit of an issue. We, we run language courses, French, German, Spanish and Italian, both for public, the public and in-house for um, businesses. They focus on building confidence to speak. And we find generally that people want to learn a language. They are, you know, they, they want to be able to get their beer when they're in Spain and they want to be able to order an ice cream and all that sort of stuff. But time and time again, we hear what you just said, which is, oh, I was rubbish at school. I hated languages. I was rubbish at French, all that sort of thing. Because of the way it was taught at school, um, they've got bad memories of it and they don't want to go down that route. So my question is, how would you go about, how do you go about reassuring potential clients who might have had a bad experience in the past that this time it's going to be different? Willie? I'm delighted to see I've never met a client that's <laughs> been in that category. Um, yeah. So, and generally, you don't get a second bite of the cherry. So, maybe that's the reason why I've never had a client like that. But, but one thing I would say, Ruth, one thing yeah. I would say to you is that if I was, and I'm, I'm one of these guys that wasted a lot of my time at school, right? Uh-huh. If I yeah. was back at school tomorrow, languages would be my number one thing. Wow. Oh, brilliant. Why? Well, because now, obviously, I've been travelling the globe, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, you know, I had the same problem, you know, try to order a beer in Spain, you know, but I found a way yeah. to do that. I go around to Tom's house. <laughs> <laughs> I could never get my way, Ruth. How much does he charge I'll, you for I'll it? I'll go over that. But, no, I, I think as I've, I've, as I've, as I've travelled the world now and seen, I, I believe that if you speak English, French and Spanish, you can speak to half of the people on the planet. Yeah, so, yeah, I'd agree with that. So yeah. I, I would definitely encourage any kid today and I say if I I'm actually my my two uh, two granddaughters now my, my three granddaughters who live in Geneva um, so they, yeah. will, they will be definitely bilingual in English and French oh, their, their, their mum yeah. is French so um, I'll, be, I'll be definitely brushing up on my French absolutely oh, hi Ruth it's Tom it's Tom here hi Tom um, hiya how how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? Yeah, fine, thanks, fine. Good. I really admire people who can do language. I can. I'm dyslexic, and I, I really struggle with um, with foreign languages. I, I struggle with English as well. But anyway, <laughs> the, the written words. But um, so trying to deal with customers maybe have had a bad experience. I mean, just as we've spoke about in this show in the past. Put the customer at the centre of all you do, and uh-huh. whenever we were dealing with customers and they weren't happy, we one admitted our mistake. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, when it wasn't even our mistake, we just say, "Okay, what's going to make you happy? Um, how can we do it for you?" And we really showed a willingness to say sorry, try and find a solution, and move on. And for a lot of businesses, the way they handle complaints. Either, I think there's a, a stat that if you solve someone's problem, they'll tell 10 other people. Yeah. But if you don't solve it, they'll tell 100 people how yeah. crap you were. <laughs> <laughs> so so trying to solve your, your customers' problems in whatever business you're in, that is, that is yeah. why, that's why you're there. So, so how's, how's your business going? Well, it's, it's, it's good. We're quite lucky in that people have been happy to move on to Zoom at the moment and, and do classes on Zoom. And because we focus on speaking and confidence to speak, we can do it over online. So that's, that's been quite good. But it's the same issue that, you know, people, are, like you say, at school, oh, they can't do it. Because when you're at school, 
you're either marked right or wrong. It's like maths at schools, often, not always, but often. So people lose the confidence to just talk. So what we try and say is, look, it's just communication. It's just chatting. Who cares if you make mistakes? Let's just chat about it. So yeah. so we're quite lucky. It's, so, um, yeah. Ruth, how do you get in touch with your business? How do you get into on, on the website? The website's www.speakoutwithconfidence.com um, or they could give me a call. The number's on the website. Um, yeah, and we're glad to hear from anyone who wants to get going ready for when we can travel again, hopefully soon. Well, I, th- you know, I think one of the benefits of learning another language is the onset of dementia is four to five years later, even if uh, adults yeah, have recently yeah, started learning. So I might be giving you a right. call. Uh, and brush yeah, up my school free. days. Okay, Ruth, well. <laughs> for anybody interested in, sorry, I was just going to say, for anyone interested in the dementia thing, there's a couple of good studies from a guy at the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Thomas Back, who's really done lots of research into language and, and the effects of, of mental health as well. So, yeah, that's okay, what I'm looking at. So, Ruth, mange two, mange two. Best of luck. Bonjour. Ruth, thank you. Au revoir, Chilemont. Merci beaucoup. Au revoir. Thank you. Last week, we asked for suggestions to build on the show's success and what you would like us to add, change, or expand. We've had some great ideas so far. And don't forget, the best ones we receive will receive a copy of the Scottish Enlightenment book by Arthur Herman, signed by Tom and Willie. For full details on how to enter, And for all the details you need about today's show and information and how you can get involved and connect, visit thisisgo.co.uk. And don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Insight, advice and guidance into the world of business.